it also. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> six, six feet from your microphone. <laughs> I'm okay. I'll live. <laughs> I've heard of other people suspecting they caught it on a plane. That's totally good. Well, the recirculated air. But they say it's healthier on a plane because of well, airports. Filters. You know, a lot of places you can go. Sure, yeah. sure. It's, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in wherever you're traveling to, to get it. So standing in line, you stand in line for everything three three or four yeah. times, but you're close to people. Yeah. We went. What time is it? Oh, it's time. yeah. It's just, yeah, I don't want to get you off and have to. Yeah. All right, we'll begin. Nope, just in time, John. Let's pray. Bless the Lord has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant through man such wise, hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Which has given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So Carol uh, tells me she knows exactly where we were, which was um, Peter two. I mean one Peter, verse two. Chapter two. Chapter two, <coughs> verse thirteen. Verse thirteen. Okay, good, good. And I thought, um, you know, I was talking to somebody. Um, about Bible study, and I, I do think, you know, we did a little gymnastics last week, and we're going here this Bible verse and that Bible verse, and if, if it's not kind of second nature to you, it can be a little bit daunting. But I, I do want us to, to, to continue to reemphasize and try to take to heart some of the central themes that, that Peter is, is using in this epistle. And um, he is... As 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 I should say that a lot of the New Testament writings do, he is um, addressing the church through the narrative framework of being the fulfilled Israel. You know, of course, in the side of Jack, let be seen, be seen. <laughs> um, what one way um, he did that with this was with this idea of calling them strangers and pilgrims. Um, where does that come from? We talked about strangers and pilgrims. What's the biblical background for being strangers and pilgrims? What do strangers and pilgrims mean? Uh, well, he said, uh, back, actually, I think verse 11 says, sojourners and pilgrims. As sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. And he address the letter itself to the pilgrims of the dispersion. It was Abraham. Okay. And what was it about Abraham that made him uh, a sojourner? He had, he had to leave his original land to go out where God called him. Just like we leave heaven. So that, so that would be um, sort of the pilgrim idea. And what was the status uh, in the promised land? He was a stranger. Huh? He was a stranger. What's that mean? Well, how, how would we call? What would we call such a person in our country? An immigrant. 
Alien. Alien. We call it a resident alien, which means that you don't have the rights of citizenship, but you live here. Of course, they do. They do have the rights. <laughs> well, but, but one should be aware, though, when whatever one's political views are on, on this immigration issue, that he is essentially saying that hearkening to Abraham as being in that status in the promised land and us being in that status in relation to this world. So um, what, what's implied in that, in that status? What, why is that as significant? That you're, it imply that you're from someplace else. Okay, but then, but that's not enough to and fulfill your world as an agent. Somewhere else. World. So what? So um, explain that some more. Well, so we aspire as children of God. We live in another, uh, another kingdom, not the kingdom of this earth but the kingdom of God. Okay, so let's, talk, let's, talk, let's pursue that a little bit. So where, where is the kingdom that we're in? How do we, how do we relate to it? How, how are we in it? And, and where is it? And how is it fulfilled? We're partially in it, and it will be fulfilled when Christ comes again. Okay, how are we partially in it? Because he's in us, and we're in him. How? <laughs> Spirit. Huh? The, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Living and in how did, Yeah. And how did you, how did, where, where did we receive the Holy Spirit? At baptism. Baptism. And in confirmation, the bishop prays for the gifts of the Spirit to be strengthened, that which is planted in baptism receives strength. So, so through the spirit we live, we we have connection to a kingdom which is which, which is not here and we see our ultimate destiny in that at the coming of Christ and therefore um, what's our relationship to the things of this world temporary huh? temporary temporary um, so so that that um, now one of the things that we should be aware of where Peter was writing that um, the people he was writing to would have mostly understood that status because they were mostly, most likely poor and most likely didn't have a great deal of status in the world. It's why one of the great temptations of the spiritual life is wealth and success. Because the more you have in this world, the more we're tempted to think, oh, let's hold on to this. And it's it's um, it's why the New Testament doesn't talk about money or possessions being intrinsically bad. It talks about the danger of loving them so that they become to have a hold on you that connects you to this world. And I would say that's a presenting American problem culturally. It was a problem. It became a problem with Israel. Uh, God, in their narrative, when he brought them out of Egypt um, and, you know, through the Red Sea and into the wilderness, 
And in Deuteronomy, he says, now beware, you know, right now you're poor, you're in a desert, beware, lest when you go into the land I'm taking you, and you, you know, plant fields and vineyards and, you know, you prosper and things go well because I'm blessing you, that you say, uh, by the might of my own arm, I've gotten this wealth. And that's what happens naturally. It, it is why we have to have a relationship with the things of the world that, that consciously practices stewardship. It is why it is at root the point of the tithe, the dispossessed from the first get-go, and it's, it's the point of what we call continuing generosity, to live with an open hand where I'm not grasping. Because what goes with us as pilgrims and strangers is how we dealt, how we use the things we had here. The things themselves don't go. It's, um, uh, it's, if Jesus says in Revelation, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, uh, says the Spirit, and they rest in the labors, and their works follow them. That is, the stuff they did. But their money doesn't follow them. Reminds me of a, a story I read in some book uh, that you know, when Roman Rockefeller died, so we said, how much money did he leave? And we said, that's all of it. <laughs> so that's, so Peter is, is drawing the church he's writing to, dispersed, not very important around, you know, Asia Minor and the world, as you are in the status of Abraham, you are a pilgrim people, you're resident aliens, but this isn't where you belong. And this is, and this is a, this is, this, so that's one of the themes. Now, last time we touched on two specific themes uh, that, that were significant. One was um, the, the idea of the temple. Um, we talked about the cornerstone, uh, the building is the cornerstone of the building, um, and you as living, uh, I'm going back to chapter 2, verse uh, 5, um, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Now, so this is playing on the Old Testament temple. And what was what was the temple in the old? Where, what's the origin of the temple? Where did the temple come, come from in concept? God was God was a designer. Okay, uh, and where did God give the design for the temple, and to whom did He give it? In the book of Levitic, Leviticus, I believe. Yeah, but. More generally, he, he, in the, well, say the Torah, yeah, the, the Leviticus, yeah. and certainly Exodus has, I think Exodus may have more specific things. And right. Who did, give, who? who did he give it to? Moses. Moses. God said, and before it was a temple, um, this house God right. lived was what? Tabernacle. Which, which means, <laughs> what? Tent? Tent, yeah. He's <laughs> tent. I was real sure of that. <laughs> so, ever, from, from the time <clears throat> from the time God called um, 
Israel out of Egypt as a people and brought them to Mount Sinai, he gave instructions for the, 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 the locale of worship, whether it be the, the tent, tabernacle, that, that they every day in the wilderness they pitch it and, and set it up, and then when they go, they break it down, and, they, and the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant that uh, uh, priests uh, were carried by on poles, four poles, they carry it till they, till they rest in the next place. And God, and then they step in, here's where God lives here. And the worship orients around this and has certain rules. And that wilderness period, they went into the promised land. The wilderness is the desert between Egypt and Israel. And they go into the promised land of, of, of Israel. And they eventually, after a long time in the land, build a physical temple that Solomon builds. So, what Peter is doing is he's saying, um, and I think that we've, we've walked this a little bit, so the temple is the place where God dwells among his people. How is the temple replaced in the New Testament? Jesus. Hmm? It's Jesus. By Jesus. And, and how does Jesus fulfill all that was spoken of in the temple? About the temple. The, the temple was the place where God dwelt among his people. What does John say about Jesus? In 1 1. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's exactly what the temple, the word becomes tangible and lives here. And it's fulfilled in the incarnation. So that so this is why Jesus wanders around in the Gospels claiming to be able to do all these things that normally you had to go to the temple to do. If you wanted your sins forgiven, you had to go to the priest and offer sacrifice. That's why Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, rise and walk. What are you, what's he talking about? you got to go. There's stuff you got to do. You can't just say that. But Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment, with those words, I am the fulfillment of the temple. I can just say that. Because of that, and and the other, uh, um, well, let's, let's follow that. So I just I want people to understand what Peter is saying when he says as living stones. So Jesus then is the temple, the, the presence of God among us. So he is. So how do we then become living stones being built together as a temple? Let's just follow the life of Jesus. So he is the Word. He's he's lives his life, gets killed on the cross, dies on the cross, the sacrificial death, rises from the dead, ascends into heaven, and then what happens? Gets back a little bit to, to our first answer about our relationship to the kingdom. The Spirit, Holy Spirit comes. So, if the Holy Spirit is within us, where is the temple of God? In us. In us. Now, the mystery of, of the church as a temple, though, is though there's an individual dimension to be sure about the way that God dwells in each of us individually in a way that was like how we dwelt in the, in the tabernacle and the temple. 
Yet Peter is released saying when you as living stones are built together, the communal reality of the church, God inhabits us together as the body. And, and so there are individual dimensions to the corporate reality, but they're always balanced. But it's not just an individual reality. We can only be the, the, the temple of God by being together in community as the church. And in the theology of the church, the local church, St. Matthew's here, is seen as a microcosm of the whole. Every local manifestation of the body of Christ as it gathers around the Eucharist to um, experience and affirm its identity represents the whole thing everywhere. Um, so the other aspect of that is priesthood, because he says you're, you're being living stones built together, a holy priesthood, so that it means also that as Jesus was the temple, we're moving out to a slightly different analogy, the priesthood. Where, did, where was the priesthood defined in the Old Testament? In the temple. Well, who said what it was and who got the instructions? Moses. Moses. From God. Again, I'm not signing. This is all about the Torah. This, all these things come from God appearing to Moses on Mount Sinai and saying, this is, this is the deal. <laughs> Here's the authoritative revelation. And he appointed um, um, in Israel to minister in the temple, tabernacle temple, priests. Who, what tribe did they come from? Levi. 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 Um, and um, was every member of the tribe of Levi a priest? Uh, I don't know. The men? Well, every man, every male member of the tribe of Levi a priest? I don't know. Well, let's learn. Well, let's learn. No, they were not. Okay. What, what made one of Aaron was Aaron. Aaron. You had to be descended of the tribe of Levi and a descendant of Aaron. So that there were other tribes, and if you weren't descended from Aaron, the priestly line, you then would be a Levite, would be like a deacon. So in the tribe of Levi, you had priests and you had your sort of a, a temple systems. <clears throat> um, Unless you were a Melchizedek. Well, but this is, so this gets to, um, that, didn't, that didn't have resonance in the old, in, in, in the time after God gave the Torah to Moses, up until the, uh, the New Testament, the priest of Melchizedek didn't really... Now, is anyone familiar what, what Jack is talking about with the priesthood of Melchizedek? Yeah, that's what Christ was. So who, who is Melchizedek? I'm, I'm belaboring these points because we go and, oh, geez, you know, the church is the temple, the church is the priest. If we don't understand the whole scriptural logic of it, we're not going to understand the weight of what he's saying. So there's this one kind of priesthood that comes from the tribe of Levi through Aaron. And then there's another biblical priesthood that's recognized biblically in three places. So Melchizedek was a historical figure. And when did he, when, where are we finding him? With Abraham, when Abraham uh, returns from a battle. 
Yeah, so so somewhere in Genesis 14-ish, something like that. Um, uh, there I am. There you are. Is you on the phone? Yeah, I was talking in the... So Abraham returns for a battle, and, and he um, comes to the to this figure called Melchizedek, who's called, he's described in Genesis as king of Salem and priest of God most high. Now, what is significant, for the, uh, we're kind of digressing, but I just think it's important here. What is significant about um, what Abraham does to Melchizedek that, that establishes superiority to Abraham? Pays him a tithe. He pays him a tithe. Very good. And this is yeah. the, in the book of the Hebrews. <coughs> the Hebrews, Hebrews make the point. So Abraham, who's the great patriarch of Israel, <laughs> great patriarch of Israel, when he returns from battle, comes and, and honors Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God Most High, gives him a tithe of everything, showing that, that, that he is a true representative of God as, as a priest. Um. There's, there's one other Old Testament Bible verse where one and only one where uh, Melchizedek appears in the Old Testament. You know where it is. Psalm 110? Psalm 110. Very good. So this is very important. And in Psalm 110, what is said in Psalm 110? He says... I have to look it up. He says, this is, so, no, so notice this is the voice of David. Speaking, oh, the Lord said to my Christ. Lord, he yeah. says, um, The Lord has sworn and will not re repent, thou art a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And thus, it brings this promise mm -hmm. of a Melchizedek priesthood into, into the Bible through the Psalms uttered by David. And it seems to be that somehow David himself. Was 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 able to exercise some kind of priestly function, understand that he is in the order of Melchizedek. Now, mm. what does um, David have in common with Melchizedek in terms of title? If we understand the priesthood, what else was he? What? King. King of what city? East Israel, obviously, Israel. but Jerusalem. But Jerusalem, yeah. whereas he that which just means New Salem, because mm -hmm. Melchizedek was, was king of Salem, right? Mm -hmm. So, so the whole image of a of a king priest who predates the Torah. This is an important thing about about the Melchizedek is there were no priests from Aaron with Melchizedek. Then we're told David is this kind of priest, and then we get in in the Epistle of the Hebrews New Testament. This is Jesus. He's a priest forever according to your Melchizedek. So, so could that have been Christ that met up with, I mean, I'm sure it's just it's a speculation. It's a timeless biblical debate yes. about just how we understand, is this a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ or what? what do you we, think? We won't solve it today, but, <laughs> but um, so when he says we're a royal priesthood, we're not... And none of us, do you have any Jewish people who are, who are uh, from the tribe of Levi? <laughs> I got Levi's on. <laughs> but we, we probably don't, but, but you don't any longer have to be descended from Aaron to be a priest, because Christ is a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, 
and through the gift of the Spirit, we share in this priesthood where we can offer, this is the idea, he talks about spiritual sacrifices. What, what kind of spiritual sacrifices can we offer that are acceptable to God? Prayer. Prayer. Bodies. <laughs> Bodies, well, I mean, tan- I'm, I'm being tangibly. Oh, well. Does it say for us to present our bodies? It does. Yeah. Ourselves are sold in bodies mm-hmm. and that's right. So how would that manifest itself like in in daily life? Mm-hmm. Praying and go, coming to church. Yeah. Keep, keep going. Yeah, we got that. Are there any tangible Being holy with your body? Life? Being holy okay. with yeah. How about how about um, the good works you perform from the motives of love? Is that a sacrifice? Mm-hmm. Yes. You, you you live in Christ, you, you, you're you able to, if you say, devote some of your time or money to something freely because you you in Christ want to do good and you that's that's an acceptable sacrifice. We, we of course we talk about if we're angry and <laughs> you know, I have to do this, you know, that might not be acceptable sacrifice. So we have to purify our motives so that so that we're purifying our sacrifice. It's why um, it's really the origin of incense in worship, because in the old testament the sacrifices were smelly. So you had to make them oh, smell better. That's true. So we need incense because sometimes <laughs> yeah, our loans are, you know, we, we gave, so you know, there's some mixture in there, so we just need to be <laughs> we just need to be sweetened up a little bit. <laughs> a sweet savior. So the point is that that now if we're a, a, a temple um, and a priesthood, we're fulfilling this long line of biblical logic. And what Peter is saying is the um, God is no longer interacting in that built temple in Jerusalem, which was destroyed, uh, I don't know, not entirely sure dating-wise, before or after First Peter was written. But that's not where the covenant is anymore. It's in you people wandering around, you know, uh, li- living as resident aliens out the Roman world, as you gather for the Eucharist and offer and 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 offer, that offering is acceptable, you're acceptable, you are the heirs of the kingdom, and as you go about your life, what you do, you do in service to God and his kingdom. And it doesn't matter whether it looks impressive or not. That's the, that's the new temple. And, and specifically talked about that um, about the cornerstone, Jesus was rejected. So if you are rejected, people are saying you don't count that's just doubly, you're just like him. And, there, and that's where the sojourners and pilgrims come from. So, and, and, and so that will kind of lead us then into a little bit to move forward today. Because um, everything he's about ready to say, and this is very, very important to understand, we're going to get teaching on submission to government, a submission to masters, which we really think about as workers and bosses, think about that way. I mean, some of the ancient labor relations were harsher, more, you know, the workers were more like slaves, but that was the ancient work relationships. And when I translate it, um, that's what we're going to get into. Then he's going to get into um, families, husbands and wives. Um, And then, but the point of this is that not um, 
The point of this is, since you are this new people, wandering through this world in the kingdom, waiting for it to be fully manifested, since you have the privilege of living in union with God and offering sacrifices and, and, and living daily in communion with God, bear witness to that by the way you interact in everything in the world. And sometimes these, these kinds of submissions that he's going to enjoin, um, you know, in our modern world, there's a chafing against any kind of submission. And, but I, I realize that the main reason there's a chafing against this submission is people have not fully embraced that pilgrim and sojourner status. And if we decide that, that what we really need is temporal revolution and a new government, what we really need is the perfect marriage, what we really need is, then we're going to, the, 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 the duty of submission to these temporal things for the sake of the kingdom is going to give way to using the kingdom to come in and, and, and become activists and change, and change the world. And that's suddenly what's happened in our time to, to the gospel message. And it's why people chafe against these submissions. Now, as we, as we walk through this, um, none of these things he commands believers to do, submitting to government, uh, ordering marriages in accordance with, uh, uh, you know, the uh, God's will, uh, working obediently in work environments, are easy um, exhortations. They all require moral challenges and ethical decision-making on the fly. But they're all under the principle of what am I called to do as a citizen of the kingdom who, who, who does not see any of these things as the ultimate. And most of the things we have, and this, this is because we understand the kingdom, we're in a kingdom that isn't here. But we bear witness to that kingdom by the way we behave here. And we understand if we behave obediently here, we may not get everything we want here. And this way we're following whose example? Jesus. Did he get everything he wanted here? No. 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 What, yeah. what happened to him? <laughs> he had to no, give got, up a lot. Murdered <laughs> yeah. here. Um, the victory of Christ side. was Easter, which occurred outside, strictly speaking, of the time of the of this world. Well, that's, that's a half truth. It occurred in the time of this world, but it, it made it it, it opened the, the way for people to live in him in this world. And we always have this tension between Good Friday and Easter. We live in Easter, we're risen. We still bearing the cross in terms of the way this world is 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 where we deal with the reality of of the pain of life in this world and disappointments and sorrows, uh, that because when the kingdom of Christ comes into those and redeems them and transforms them, but he, but but just as the cross, he doesn't merely make it go away. And so, um, all these things we have to understand through that paradigm. So let's let's then let's then. Read our way through the, the various instructions.
And, and notice what he says. Um, I, I, I'm going to read from verse 11 and then go right into the other because I want to review the point. Beloved, I beg you with sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, disordered desires, not, not merely sexual in the Greek word, just disordered desire, which war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, and the Gentiles now are people in the world who do not believe in Jesus. Your chosen people, they're not you Jews against ethnically uncircumcised. He's, he's, he's saying you people in Christ, the people of God, and the Gentiles are now everybody who's not in that, in that new reality. That when they speak against you as evildoers, which they, which happened, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. This is the uh, visitation is the day which we talked about last time when the emperor comes to review the city. The visitation is Christ comes to review, and people say, "Well, I don't get Christians." And 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 the point he's making is, if you do what is right, that will be revealed on that day, and your accuser will be speechless, and you will be blameless. And that's the blamelessness which we're enjoined to throughout the New Testament. Because, again, what court are we appealing to? The king in the eternal court. We may not get the sentence we want from, the, from Caesar in the temporal court, but we're going to behave in the right way so that we don't become guilty. Therefore, and that's very important verse, in verse, um, you know, verse uh, 13, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake, not because he's great, not because you like who the government is, not because whatever, for the Lord's sake, whether to the king is supreme or to governors as those who have sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. But this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a quote for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And the point he's making is that the temporal battle against, and, and, <coughs> excuse me, um, the temporal battle is not as important as the eternal one. Now, there is this debate that comes up or this discussion, it's a reasonable discussion in, in talking about passages like this, that, of course, we, we, we will talk about like how activists should we be. We have much more standing in the world as Christians than these Christians did. Yes. Not only, I mean, they, 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 he's saying submit and be a good witness, but of course, if they didn't submit, they would have just gotten killed. It wouldn't have been any any agitating for governmental reform. It didn't happen like, well, it didn't happen like that for most of the human history, actually. But. Right. So, um, we have the ability now, and Christians have throughout history, been able to say things to, uh, to whoever is in, in power when they are not ruling uh, justly. Um, and it, it is for various Christians who are called to various things to determine how they exercise that. But the rubric still remains 
that you're doing it for the Lord's sake, if you have a prophetic word to say, you need to say it um, truthfully in love without bitterness and anger. And it needs to not be said in order to achieve a result, but merely to bear witness yeah. to something. And you don't. And when you do it, you don't do anything wrong. So it absolutely and categorically outlaws any kind of violence in the name of overthrow. It's just it's just not possible. But prophetic, yes, this is wrong. You you mistreated. You know, I gave, I gave a couple examples because Sunday's lesson was about this. You know, John Chrysostom confronted the emperor in church on Sunday because he had he had brutally embattled uh, Mother Teresa standing before the joint session telling him she didn't think that that, that, that God would allow a nation long to live that to exist to kill his own children. She didn't say, you know, we're going to start a movement. That we're, just this is this is what it is. Great. The value of life, and then that 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 the thing that you. Um, this is something I think that uh, is maybe the more significant thing that the witness of your life begins in the microcosmic level. First order, your, your first witness is, you know, if you're, if you're pro-life, are you? How about your own? I mean, this has been a problem with, uh, with some of this in the church is that there's been a lot of yelling and screaming but a lot, of, a lot of compromise in the actual church. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's like uh, I, I heard of this radio podcast uh, where this uh, I may have said this in this class, so if I did, I apologize for repeating it. But Russell Moore used to be the Southern Baptist president. He does a podcast now, and he 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 was interviewing this sort of liberal woman who who was uncovering the reality of conservative opposition to abortion. And she said, um, yeah, everybody's against abortion, except for three exceptions, rape, incest, and my situation. Hmm. And that's too many Christians have absolutely had that tension that, no, I, I'm all for this. I'm, 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 yeah, oh, but, oh, but my daughter's, oh, right. okay. And that's... So if you might That's point about, about your stance for something or or a justice stance, how we treat people, how are you treating the people who work for you? How are you? So you have to start your witness at the microcosmic level. That's the first witness to do it. And then to the extent that we say something, I don't think that, that you, in, in many ways, the church, we earn the right to say something when we're doing something. So Mother Teresa had an unimpeachable prophetic voice. She who was collecting people off the streets in Calcutta could come and say, you need to value life. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes those who are comfortable in life and who maybe in their lives don't have quite the same tangible concern for people who are in those vulnerable situations. Right. So this is why our, our however we protest has to be, has to be consistency to it. And, and the first thing to be concerned about in all these things is not, this is something I, I realized that a lot of times um, all these kinds of concerns, and as I mentioned on Sunday, they're all justice concerns. They're all about how we treat human beings made in the image of God. But they're, they're presented as something we're trying to get um, 
I, I discovered this, this kind of perspective when I visited South Africa, because it, it's a dependency culture on steroids. And I, we have a guy named Ed who's from there. He, he's kind of confirmed, so I, I feel more confident to express my opinions <laughs> on it. But everybody there in the church only saw um, what they were doing in relationship to the government. Either the church was yelling at the government to give more here, when those in need were just asking for the government to give them something. And we have this idea, too, that we're always yelling at someone to do something. And I actually think our justice, forget the government. Be, we have to start in our own communities doing the things we want to do. That is the kingdom. It's not, we're, we're not, we're not trying to make I, I, people I just want to block a little bit at this because we're trying to make this world a better place. No, we're not. We're trying to bear witness to Christ in this world, which will make this world a better place. Yeah. But that's not the goal. The goal is faithfulness of witness. And 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 think small, not big. That's our our presenting theology of mission is what we call remnant theology, which is you start with a group that really is serious about what it's doing. And when that happens, that's the witness that begins to be powerful. Oh, this group looks different than the world. Right now, the reason people don't find themselves attracted to the church, it doesn't look any different. It's just another yelling, screaming group. Or that, another form of our culture yeah. presents And then when you pull back the covers, yeah. it's, it's just all, our culture. the statistics are all the same yeah. about what they're doing. This is really good, though, because so often, you know, in, in our work, I can get really frustrated. It's like, oh, I'm so frustrated, you know, it's dumb people, you know. But yeah. then I have to back up, like you said, and it's like, okay, Lord, you know, what do you want me to do? You know, and that's exactly it. You well, go in there humble. You go in there, you just let go, just, you know, yeah. Well, and the point, I think what you're, what you're highlighting is really a significant example because what you, what you highlight and what you just said is that, even your uh, your righteous anger against somebody doing something becomes a temptation. I'm so angry, yeah. and all of a sudden I'm yelling. This yeah. So the, exactly. the point of how do I respond righteously here? And here's the problem: it, it, we're following Jesus. The challenge is always acting rightly will always mean at times, always mean at times. Well, at times mean <laughs> enduring through. The experience of injustice or non-fulfillment yeah. as we wait for Jesus. And the coming of Jesus, um, he's certainly coming at the end of time, the completion of time, but he comes in time. Mm -hmm. he, things happen that, you know, historically, for example, the, the question of slavery that, that many Christians, Wilberforce among them in Britain, was, you know, he came and it ended. And it was some enduring issues. Again, it's not. It's not so. So judgment does come in history on things. I think it will come on on the whole abortion thing. It will come. It's, it's coming because we're we're just it, it, it's it, it. But the um, so he does come. Our point though is to work on personal faithfulness in our in our microsphere, which then will resonate out beyond that. That's the real witness. So that's why he's saying, don't behave as angry rabble-rousers. Behave, you know, submit yourself. And for most of the, most, for all we object about the government, most of the things that we're asked to do, they're not contrary to the Bible. Obey the law, be a good citizen, treat people well. 
So people, oh, you know, so Your taxes. What, what, ha- what happens, and this is what happens to a lot of Christians in these arguments that, that rage on the online, is they're not in touch with the way in which they're arguing for this presenting issue is really connected to just anger about life. Very true. And and a, a lot of the, the the following Jesus with a pure motive means choosing to fight the right battle. And the wrong battle is why co-opt Jesus to baptize my anger at you. The right battle is when I realize, is this really an issue about the kingdom? And I say, no, it's not. Um, and it happens in, in small ways. And I'm, I'm a guy who has, you know, anger is our favorite sin of mine. <laughs> but I realize I'm angry in a situation I start thinking about it's like, there's nothing about the kingdom in this. I'm just frustrated. Yeah. So what I really yeah. do is just yeah. read the and be patient and not say anything. Don't yeah. don't become. And so that's about me. Yeah. You know, but I could say, wow, all these people are that that whoever whoever business I'm in did whatever. I can start a jihad against there, or I could realize, you know, right. there's different ways of looking at life. Like Have I, no control I'm patient, like in the grocery yeah. store line, and you begin to realize, from kingdom perspective, well. Maybe the, the checker had a bad day. Yeah. Maybe I could be yeah. some, someone, maybe instead of being a hurry and getting, you know, I could, but this, this, is, this is what Peter's talking about, is as strangers and pilgrims live in the world as ambassadors for this kingdom that's not here. Yeah. And, and we displace that and, and start representing the kingdom that is here and just wanting what we want, we get it wrong. So verse 18, servants be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. And again, we're talking about here not, um, again, ancient world was much more brutal in many ways, but it's not the it's not the equivalent here of ships that extracted people from Africa and brought them here and sold them. It was an indent, it was a an arrangement by which they got money for for doing things. But they didn't have certainly the freedom a modern worker has by any stretch. And he's saying not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Um, part of this here again, Paul, or excuse me, Peter here is not saying to workers of all ages you could never protest working conditions. He is saying frame whatever you're you're going to approach in terms of the kingdom. And some work environments are always going to have some crappiness to them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you got to just keep doing your work and don't complain. Because a lot, that, that's the other illusion of this that will happen is people will say, well, I'm leaving this company to another company. Well, that boss or that guy will be at the next company. Mm-hmm. There will always be something Absolutely. They're always unideal <laughs> in every circumstance. Yeah. So there is a, a, a question that comes up kind of in the submission, um, and that's, the, that's the, the common word is submit. Bring yourself under under uh, the government, verse 15, submit, 18, servants be submissive, uh, is in faithful submission, what level of injustice or wrong requires some faithful prophetic witness and what is just I'm just going to keep doing it and not say a thing and I would say that there are times when the prophetic message is needed but 90% of the time we're angry because we're 
upset about being offended in our pride, and we, we would do better just to continue to faithfully do what we're doing. At the very least, I would say most of the time, we need to be patient. If you think we need to do something, think and pray about that for a long time. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I understand the cycle of my anger. You know, I'm angry at something. Wow. And tell them, it'll be righteous, yeah, because God says this. And give it a day. And it's like, maybe not. Yeah, I guess I was kind of angry. And two days later, yeah, I'm so glad I didn't do the thing that I thought I did. It sounded so good in the moment, but now it's not really. But I would say, in commensurate with that, this is, is a lesson of the spiritual life. While we're not going to express our frustration uh, towards others or, or this until we really think it out, that we can bring that into our prayer. Because Jesus can sit with us in that visceral moment. Yeah. And, that's, and we can have people, spiritual friends, who we can, you know, we can vent to, you know. But it's okay. The emotions aren't bad. What we're trying to do is not be controlled by our reactive emotions to the world and trying to not deny them, but then realize, and we, and we channel them to productive activity, we're going to feel better about ourselves, we're not going to take distance from God, and we're going to, we're going to be a healthier person. Well, I think that whole idea of submission is just the opposite of what a lot of people want to do. They'll, they'll threaten, I'm going to sue you, I'm going to do, you know, all this stuff. It's like, no, just let that stuff go, submit to, you know, it's like we have to take that submission to God. It's like, I have to submit this. I can't do it without you. Can you help me, you know? Yeah. And here, here's the thing that, that I think we need to understand is that to, to submit you have to be very strong and very emotionally healthy. Mm-hmm. Right. The people who have the, deep, the most trouble submitting are people who are immature and, um, you know, and emotionally unhealthy. And therefore, oh, I expect you, they're, they're fighting a battle that they're not aware of, deeply rooted in their wounded experience. Mm-hmm. When we've experienced some long-term healing in relationship to Jesus, we're more able to stand in him in, in relation to somebody like, oh, you're up. And, you know, it doesn't mean it won't prick us, but we'll have more ability to say. And here's a principle of behavior that we, that we use is not allowing someone else to determine how I behave. So if I go in a situation and someone's calling me names, you know, let's say I'm driving the road, this is something I've Russell with, you know, he's an angry person. Um, he cuts me off. Like, ah. It's like, well, okay, well, here I was driving along fine. Somebody did something, and I react. I'm allowing him uh-huh. to determine how I behave. Why should I? You know, and so my best bet is just to hang on and, yeah. and just, just say it fine. God bless you. <laughs> I, I haven't really got, I haven't got really to that level yet. I've gotten, I've gotten to, to, to the level of not reciprocal road rage, you know, kind of things. But, um, but we still have time. I think yeah. that would be perfect. Yeah. So, um, let's do it with the right. But submission requires great strength, a great interior strength of faith, and this is why Jesus was able to submit to death without reacting. Remember, he is the Son of God. 
as he said in, in to Pilate, don't you know I could call a whole bunch of angels and they come? He, 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 he submitted I, to him. He submitted yeah. to all of the, all the judgments. And that earned him the, the verdict of Easter. So this is what Peter's saying to us. Live in that space. But, Peter, but Jesus, of course, wasn't afraid to say, you know, you're a hypocrite. Or right. wasn't, it's, it's not being like, Voiceless, yeah. right? It's but it's also not. It's just being. It, and we have trouble. Jesus was, you know, in terms of God. Son of God, we're when we speak out, it's always too too fueled an issue with our own anger. So we have to be really reticent in that space. So this is what he says: Not only the good and gentle, but also the harsh. Verse nineteen. For this is commendable if, because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. This is commendable. Why? For what credit is it if when you're beaten for your fault, you take it patiently? That's just what you got coming. Your child disobeys, gets a spanking, gets that, you know, can't do that anymore. But <laughs> and he, oh yeah, I did it wrong, but it's not like, that's not great. That's just what you're supposed to do. Yeah, you did it wrong, you had that coming. Oh, you, you steal some money, you have to pay it back, and double. That's not commendable, that's just justice. When you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable. And here's the, the vocational sense. For to this you were called. <clears throat> because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in the steps, that you should live the way he lived. He committed, committed no sin, nor is deceit found in his mouth. That's a quote from, uh, do, you, do you have the cross-reference in your... Where's that quote from? Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. That's that great suffering servant passage that we read on Good Friday. He did no sin, nor did he found his mouth. When he was reviled, did not revile in return, did not respond in kind. That's the powerful narrative of Good Friday. You saved others, so you can't say, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good lesson, I, again, you know, uh, people, I'm teaching about this in the way I do because I resonate with react, reactive anger, but um, <laughs> if we can learn to not defend ourselves against these things, when somebody's calling you names, they're not looking for you to explain to them why they're wrong. Yeah. Right. And they're so the, the attempt to do it is is... Is, 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 is a fool's errand. Right. We can just hold on, breathe, pray, and let God, God in, in time will commit us and, and not do anything wrong in return. When he's reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten it. He's the one person that really could do it righteously. He didn't do it. <laughs> wow. But committed himself to the judges righteously. And I would say here again, it's really important when we're seeing the New Testament that yes, there's he's coming to judge the world and there will be perfect justice there. But we commit ourselves to the righteous judgment of Christ. It doesn't mean like, oh, nothing will be no vindication of the very end of time. No, God's judgments in life and history tend to be moral. And he, the person who holds on to Christ and does the right thing over the course of the years, tends to be revealed as the one who did the right. 
There are interim judgments. So we're committing ourselves to Christ in these circumstances, and the interim, any interim satisfaction we get will be an indication of the ultimate birth. That also kind of tends to prove that the kingdom of God is here. Kingdom of God is here. Jesus is Lord right now. He renders his judgments. And when we look at the span of our lives and history over longer periods, we begin to understand. Um, we begin to understand it in the rise and fall of kingdoms. Right. Because they decay in justice. Almost all Country, countries that, that fall, fall because they become unjust. Rulers don't, aren't just. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's, that our problem now is, is, is the idea of justice is, is um, in, in, the, in the framework of <coughs> justice of giving God his due and then treating everyone as, as the image of God. We're, we're further from that. So he committed himself to judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By your stripes you were healed. So, in a sense, we might say this, having died to sin, um, might live for righteousness. Having died, given up that old battle you were fighting for vindication for yourself that you might live for right, righteously for him, because you're already justified. And this is why the life of prayer and our connection with Jesus is the foundation for all of this. We can only go out and live this way as we renew our own connection with Christ. And understand, you're accepted. You're in the kingdom. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You, this is who you are. Oh, okay. If we forget that, we fall back into that reactive response to everything. And this is why prayer that cultivates a sense of God's presence is a prerequisite for being a faithful witness in the world. The more we drift from our prayer, the more we'll fall into reactivity. And it's also why we have to look at our disciplines or what we do in life. I know this is for, for some of these things, like especially, um, he's getting here about work situations, but if you spend your spare time ruminating on, you know, all the wrong you felt, if you spend all your spare time watching uh, argumentative media that draws you into rage, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's always a funny thing people talk about. We talk about the life of prayer. Why don't we have time for all that? It's funny that how people pull their phone out and see that they do, you know, an hour of social media, but no problem exactly. at all. Like, no, no, no 10 minutes for the office. or But it's, it's the struggle for the life of prayer. That's where the spiritual battle always is waged. Yes, it's so true. Because if the devil pulls us out of our prayer, we're, got we're, we're got. Because we're not going to be able to do this except for experiencing again the reality of connection to Christ and being healed again. Okay, now I can go out. So I get provoked again, come back to you. It's a progressive cycle of healing, looking to the resurrection. For you were like sheep going astray, but now return to the shepherd. New King James says overseer, it actually literally says bishop. The word Episcopos, 
uh, of your souls. Yeah. And the idea that running around fighting all your own battles is lost sheep. Now you've come back to the, the shepherd who's he's leading you, the shepherd, and this is kind of the, the mixed metaphor here of the shepherd is leading you, but where did that you know that lamb of God go? He's leading us to death. Yeah. But to resurrection. He's leading us to death of our own thing into life in him, which is life that leads to resurrection. <laughs> Any thoughts, questions about that? And the thing that I, I think about when I, when I read this, speaking about St. Peter, is it must have been a mind blower for them to realize the Old Testament, to, to have that, have the Holy Spirit open these things up to them. And I don't know, I just think of like, oh my gosh, look at this. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this is what the Old Testament, you know, so, so putting it all together, I don't know how it happened, but to me it would be like amazing. It must well, have been yeah, amazing I mean, Because they're part of a nation's way to the Messiah, and they reject me. No, wait a minute. It's yeah. that understanding that, no, yeah, this is it. Yeah. yeah. And how he did it, and, and it was like completely different than what we thought. And yeah. Yeah. I guess the guys from the road from Emmaus said, no, wait a second, you guys, we got it. We got it here. But yeah, just thinking about the transformation that you see from Peter of the New Testament to, to this. I know they, there's arguments over if, whether he wrote it, but I think he wrote it. I don't know. I just think yeah, that well, this this, this, this is such a... a, a are, 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 they're stupid not because you can't have a debate about it, because they're based on no evidence other than... Right. This is, trans, this is yeah. the transformation that yeah. happens. It's amazing. All right. Well, we got through three, so I guess it's a clean chapter break. We'll look at, at doing chapter three uh, next week. Great. Lord, bless us and keep us. The Lord, make his face to shine upon us, be gracious unto us. The Lord, lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Be with you all. Good to have you here. Ruth and Mimi, Jim and Phyllis, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. <laughs> Get better, get better. 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 Get so, yeah, that's, and it's 2020. Oh, that's so wonderful. Wow. An expensive one. Yeah, yeah. It's a multi popular kind of glass. That's, it can't guarantee that you'll be able to read without glasses. But depending on what your vision was before, you started having lens issues. It's possible that you could end up being able to do all these different visions. Wow. So let me understand. So when they do cataract surgery, they remove your, your natural lens. Yeah, and they actually replace it with an artificial, uh, an artificial lens. And, and it can, I did not realize that. And it can have a prescription in it, okay. which is the more expensive. So I had some revelation. 
in to my give spirit. You back. That feels a vision that you may have never had. I have really good vision. I, a, yeah. I, I can't see the computer. You had 2010 vision? Yeah, because I have 2020 and one in 2030, but I have to use use cheater. I was just diagnosed with macular degeneration. Yeah, I have that too. Do you? Yeah, it's more common than you think. Yeah. But how are you, when were you diagnosed? So maybe the week after next. There's something like, I don't know what you're Well, it's, it's, it's varied okay. each week, yeah. so you just have to email And so they have you on the special vitamins and all that? For your eyes. Um, no, he tried, uh, recommended this over-the-counter thing for the eyes. The and preservation? A-Revs? Yes. 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 yes, that's what I'm that, doing. Yeah. You know what? It yeah. makes me Great sick. Does me it? too. And really? I take oh, yeah. it. I don't see it. I take it. I take it. I take it. I lived in them for you know, about, about a, a generation. Great. Oh, that's what I say. Because I take it. I take the multivitamin. Yeah. Because I usually am sensitive. Yeah. I told, I finally told my ophthalmologist, I can't take that. And I said, I suspect it's the zinc in it. That's me. Oh, and so he, oh, you don't have to take it. I mean, I just suggested it to you because it can't hurt. Yes. Maybe it is helping. So oh, you say clinically approved. Hi, how are you? So <laughs> I said, yeah. no, I have a friend. Yeah, I finally I made it. She's yeah, a, no, she's yeah, a yeah, friend. Yeah, she has injections in her eye. Oh, I wonder if she has a wet kind. Is a wet and a dry? Yeah, no, I I can't remember. And she's got. you have I I have the dry. I. Far as he knows, so far I had the dry. I hope it stays that way. So what happens when you have the? What is the difference with the wet? I, I, I don't. I don't know, know but yeah. I just know the wet is bad. Yeah, it's worse. Yes. Okay, I need to research it. Yeah, I haven't researched it. Yeah, but um, anyway, I told people told me before I had the cataract done. He says, "Oh, colors are going to be so much more intense for you, more clarity and all of that." Well, these are usually people who always wore glasses. Yeah, that's true. Always. True. And oh. I'm, I'm not coming from that background. So right. I was really concerned about how my vision yeah, was going true. to. Yeah, that's true. So, well, glad you have that. I'm glad you, yeah. you did that. Yeah. So, but your eyes may change and then you may have to have glasses. Yes, yeah, because yeah. of aging. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So fun. Are you still? <laughs> Is it, are we having that. fun yet? <laughs> are you still putting drops in? Oh, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> that was the biggest challenge for me. Was And a lot of people say that, too, because you have three different kinds. One you only take once a day, and another oh. one you take four times a day, you know, <laughs> and it changes it by the week. Wow. So, yeah. so you have oh. to keep it super organized. Yeah. I have to have it all written out. Like, they do. Yeah. They give you a chart. Oh, they do. And you can okay. just check off it to get yeah. track. Good thing. Good thing. So I have two more weeks of that. Okay. But I have to say, uh, imagine what the world was like before you could get cataracts. You know, and I think about that. I think <gasps> about it, you know, and I, I think about just macular degeneration because, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. well, probably that's why, you know, Isaac couldn't see when he was right. blessing his sons, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's amazing, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you just read like Jane Austen, you know, and some of the characters. Yeah. They're not terribly old, but they're already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't see. So. It, it is Isn't that a cool light? Where did yes. they come from? Where did they come from? I was thinking that too. You wouldn't even need to have a lamp. Uh, you know, in certain well, I just like the way they look. in Italy yeah. and made in the People's Republic of China. There's a name on it. <laughs> of course. Oh, Pina. Pina. 
pin. I might like to have one of these. Yeah, yeah. Or some of these. Yeah. Well, it has a nice light to it as well. Yes, it yeah. does. It's yeah. specifically for reading, I'm sure. Yeah. Yep. So, well, we're glad that you're Kelly, doing well. Kelly regrets that she, Thank you. that she was unable to get to the pruning part. <laughs> you know what? It made me think. Years ago, we were at a dinner, and we had a different German short hair pointer, and she always went on the boat in Mexico. She flew to Mexico, got on the boat, and we oh, fished. Fine. And as soon as a rod had a strike on it and the reel would start going zoom, she was out. <laughs> Ready out to get there. that fish for you, uh -huh. right? Yeah. And so we were at a dinner somewhere, and I can't remember what this man said to my husband. It was something his dog went out and picked up the the, the rod in its mouth or something. I just, <laughs> and Let me I, help you. <laughs> 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 Bluebell is right next to Kelly, by the way. I oh, is that yeah. right? Yeah, it's no. like, hi, okay. Kelly. <laughs> I brought something for Bluebell today. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, she's going to she's gonna prune roses with us, so okay. it may be a little bit harder than, I. you know, I won't be able to let, usually I kind of let her jingle around, and she goes and sees the kids, and they all come to the table. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. like, and she lays, she's so sweet with kids, but, you know, she'll see Kelly, and she'll want to go over and give her kisses and stuff. And I don't know how Kelly feels about other dogs, but um, I'll keep her. I'll she's keep her usually away. very passive, timid, unless yeah. it's really in her face and yeah. bothering her, yeah. which seldom happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. Adult dogs will go. Stop, stop it. Well, I, don't yeah, kiss I, me. You both have dogs. I take it. Yeah, yeah. So, I have Blue Bell. Yeah. I am a cat person, but I, I love cats mean, too. I, I don't love like cats. cats. Yeah. No, we go to dog shows. Anyway, I, this reminds me of something that happened when we were in Istanbul last summer. We took the ferry from uh, oh, the main part of the city yeah. to the other side for an excursion. And uh, when we came back, uh, everybody the ferry comes and everybody gets on it. Well, there was, oh, the, the Turks have a very enlightened attitude about their dogs and cats, the ones that are homeless, strays. Yes. They keep a record of every one of them. If you look at the ear on a dog, it has a tag. And once a year, they all get rounded up and get physicals and no. their shots and all of that. And they're treated like like pets. Dogs and cats. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. I love so that. So you'll see very uh, healthy-looking dogs and cats that are out on the street. Nobody, ha they don't have homes. But the government does this because they found that they had a problem with ships pulling into the port with a dog or a cat on board, and when the ship leaves, the dog or the cat doesn't always get back to it in time, and they're left in Istanbul. And it was becoming such a health issue, never mind the poor animals, right. that they instituted this program. And it was just so progressive, I thought, for them yeah. to do but that. But did you have, because there's a whole story on the internet about this one dog who daily would be on the ferry. He oh, was, well... He was on a bigger dog. Yes, he was, was kind of like a Saint Bernard esque dog. Well, it was uh, yeah. it was a good size, yeah, uh, mix, but handsome looking. Yeah, it reminds yes. me of the the native Turkish Anatolia. Oh yes, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we get on the ferry yes. to go back there. to Istanbul, and we see this big dog. Nobody has. Maybe him. he is native, <laughs> and he just follows the crowd very well behaved. Yeah, he comes up the steps into the ferry, and he goes and sits in the corner. And all the time we're looking at this dog instead of looking out the yeah, yeah. Going on he, he travels there. Yeah. yeah, and when we got 
uh, to Istanbul. He gets up and he very politely follows everybody off the ferry, doesn't rush or get in anybody's way. And Tom and I got off and we just watched him to see what he would do. We thought there'd be somebody waiting for him. Nope. Nope. He came off and he had very definite plans where he was going. He probably has a, this Isn't whole this whole routine. Yeah. You know, dogs are so routine oriented. Yeah, like so he probably I has a routine exactly. and he goes somewhere else. Oh yeah, yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's I think that's wonderful. Well, there, you know, there's a whole group of dogs in Punta Arenas as well. Well, I don't know where that is. That's at Tierra del Fuego, the tip of South America. Yes. Oh, okay. Oh yes, and yes. I wonder if that's how they got there, and and oh. they, they all looked pretty good. I didn't hear any story like that. But they would follow you, oh. or one did, and I went to go into the hotel, and that dog stopped right at the door. It knew it couldn't go in. Uh-huh. But he said, I like that lady. She's got a good vibe to her. Yeah. <laughs> or they come and ask for food. Yeah. If that's yeah. how that happened, there are ships coming in. And I bet. Maybe. I bet. Not. Yeah. Well, the, the guide, our guide for the excursion told us about it. And, uh, and because somebody remarked, gee, they're strays, but they look so healthy and content. It's not, it's not like, like Mexico. Mexico. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> oh Mexico, I just like, oh, my and, gosh. and a lot of third world yeah. countries. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, Cuba oh. was awful. Oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah. the people. I know. Yeah. But themselves. Anyway. Um, yeah, they're, point, they're treated like dogs. Yeah. yeah. Well, at one point, she took us into a very nice neighborhood on our way someplace. And there was actually a statue on the corner. Of a dog uh, sitting on a pillow, and and the funny thing was, one of these real dogs came along and he sat next to it. So <laughs> I took a picture. Oh, you did! Yeah, I said, that's it. You got to get a picture. That's, that's great. great. So cute. <laughs> so that was an unexpected um, experience in this. That's, that's a wonderful well, you know, experience. I, I'm glad you told me that. I I just booked a, a tour, oh. um, with some neighbors. And um, I traveled with these two men to Namibia. Mm-hmm. It was the oh, three that's, of us. That's an interesting and these, place. these guys are husbands of, of friends of mine. I mean, we were an odd group. Uh-huh. And so Steve, <laughs> one of them, loves to travel. And so he wanted to go to Turkey. And I had been in Istanbul one day with a cruise. And I thought, oh, this is not enough. And I've always right. wanted to go back. Yeah. And he chose a Rick Steves tour. Oh, I have no idea. Oh, that's idea. right. You're going on the Rick Steves tour. Yeah. Yes. And um, I'm really looking forward to it. But you know, it's funny because I woke up this morning and I got thinking about it. And I thought, well, I wonder about COVID. Oh, there's Bluebell. Oh, she, what a cute She had picture. this pose with her basketball last night. And I thought, that is so, she's so funny. She'll put her foot on the, or she has a soccer ball and she'll be like, you know. <laughs> And then last night I was I put lotion on my feet every night before I go to sleep. She put her foot on my on my foot. Oh, huh. isn't that cute? I mean, it's so funny how she does that. She'll just kind of do that to me. She'll just walk up and <laughs> so she's quite paws on, I guess. But anyway, she's Maybe a cute. She wants lotion too. She loves lotion. She's always Does like the licky. Lick I go, yeah. no licky, licky. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, let me lick that off of you. So anyway, Well, I, like, I hope on your tour in Istanbul, you get to see a couple of places that most tourists don't see. Uh, like one of the churches has fabulous mosaics. And it's off the beaten path. So most, mm. I tell people, oh, don't miss the luck. They have no clue. And the guides, they don't want to bother, you know, with anything oh, yeah. that's off the path. Oh, okay. 
And so they. So must yeah, you see, you're gonna have to talk to her before yeah, you go. Yeah, we'll have oh, to talk. Yeah. Oh, it was. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, um, that's wonderful. How long were you there? Uh, well, we were on a cruise, but okay. this is our second visit. Okay. And we've spent a fair, maybe five or six days by now. Okay. And, and I know where to go because I do my research. And yes, I was you an do. Arts major. Yeah. So I know where to go. Excuse me. You were what major? I'm sorry, Ms. Art that. and architecture. Okay. Oh. Yeah. I studied art, art and architecture as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did too. Yeah. But, yeah. So it was requ- it was a requirement when I went to school, but it's not. I don't think it is any longer. But it, no. it's important. Yeah, people are like, how do you know all this stuff about architecture? Well, you know, you know? I and, got an email. The Bowers Museum in Santa Ana oh, is having a lecture. Oh, a lecture. Oh, I didn't know I about that. I think it's once a week on art. Yeah. Starting and yeah, going through Yeah, I know. The it sounds period. really good. And the first one was yesterday, but I had two appointments and I couldn't oh, go. Yeah. And it's $15 a session. Yeah. I've gone so to them and they're you good. You buy the package. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to look into that because, yeah, I, I took a lot of art history. I thought yeah. I would love to refresh it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but in general, I do a lot of research every time we travel. Yeah. And it, it makes it so me. much better. Yeah. It, yeah. It just amazing. You know what you're seeing. People know, have a clue. Yes. About anything involved right. in the history, the art, right. anything. Right. It's sad to me. It's very sad yeah, to me. What a because that's why we, we, we have lost so much of that. We're so disconnected. I, I, when he was talking about being, you know, like being angry, just dis, uh, discouraged, like I did all this work on, for this association on their trees. I mean, hours and hours and hours, you know, and it's like all the, the board members are on board and then one person comes along and just is like, yes. Oh, well, we're just going to cut all these trees down. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, it was like, Oh yes, my gosh, it's so it was, I was so discouraged and I was like, yeah. And I got, you know, inside, I'm ruminating, I'm mad about it, because like, I want so much freaking time. Uh-huh. But it's okay, it's your, you know. Yeah. But I have to just be, step back and go, God, you know. But know. It, to me, it's a, a disconnect. They're usually, they're younger, and there's a disconnect with the value of things. It's like, do you realize that this is a this is an asset, not a liability? They always look at the, the trees as liabilities, or... Oh, oh, that's too fussy. Or that, you know, they drop heaps of it. Or it's too expensive. Yeah. Or it's something that's really worth the extra. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think that, we, you know, not really, te- not really valuing art and architecture and all that sort of thing, we're losing something. You know, kids you are know, like, what, what's parsley? What does it look like? You know, when or- <laughs> I was in college, it was very common that you went on a, a tour with a, a tour agency that specialized in that and we went the whole summer i was so excited because i'd taken all these classes yeah. to see what i had studied right and at that time i mean and we walked all around the parthenon yeah we were all up in there i'm sure oh, you yeah. can't do that anymore i don't know i don't know but i mean some of them you can and, still go up and but, yeah, I don't know and i'll never that. forget seeing the statue the, uh, the, the, the of the, yes, yeah, his eyes. Yes, yeah. They still had the inset, the uh, mother of pearl, and the I mean, blood. yes, his, yes. his eyes. I was yeah, like, oh, yeah. Great. Makes yeah. Kind of or you walk by, you're in the Uffizi, and you walk by Donatello's David. It's like, oh. wait a minute, that's Donatello's David right there. You know, but it's just there. You know, yeah. <laughs> and he's quite feminine versus you know uh, Michelangelo's. But yeah, it's it's like it it comes alive to you, and you realize, mm-hmm. 
how much, yeah, in a sense we've lost, yeah, we have all this technology, but we've lost that sense of also uh, a value tactile. Of too. The yeah. Value of yeah. Yeah. I watched a PBS show and it was um, on art just quite recently and they were talking about Bernini and he did a statue of David, mm -hmm. which was entirely different yes. than Michelangelo's. Yes. And the face on it is Bernini's face. Oh, interesting, <laughs> is it? And, and it's an angry face, too. Oh. It's entirely different. Okay. Yeah, the whole tone of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and it was his face on it. <laughs> angry face, yeah. 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 Well, I love going into that, the, that school this uh, in uh, in Florence where you walk through and you see all the figures and the blocks of, mm -hmm. of stone. That's my favorite oh. part is, you know, I mean, David is magnificent, but... Yeah, anyways. Well, good to see you back. Thank you. So pick your brain. When do you go again? In October? Not until October, October yeah. 2nd. Oh, okay. That's going to be fun. But you're going on a direct flight to Turkey? Steve, my neighbor, always does the flights. That's so nice. Um, when we went, and he, he's, he's funny. He's a very successful, high-powered attorney. You never know it. He's the nicest Easiest going. Okay, <laughs> gosh, yeah. Not like one of the... Right. <laughs> and he always says he has a little Scotch-Irish in him, and so he finds these fabulous fares for business uh, Yeah, the good Scotchman. Age, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> yeah. sitting in a coach seat. Oh, no, we don't anymore no. for long flights. Yeah, no. no way. No way, yeah. So Steve, I don't know, he'll... he'll do it. That's awesome. Well, that, he's, it's so nice to have Turkish someone air. like you or that or that guy. Yeah, you know, yeah. that. Turkish Air is supposed to be a nice airline. Is it? I've never yeah. used it. I'm going to go grab my little blue bell. And I know. But here, um, let me give you this. Connie. I know one thing. Aww. I have to bring it up. Do you like the bag, though? The kitty bag? She needs a kitty bag. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is chicken from Just Food for Dogs. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. They have a place down in Costa Mesa. Right. It needs to be in, in Corona Del Mar, too. Um, and it's chicken. Okay. And with Kelly's bone cancer, I started making her chicken bone broth. And she was eating chicken bone broth twice a day. And all of this chicken. And I bought these. It was $50 for this And bag. she was like, this is not she bone broth. She developed an allergy. Oh. And wow. I did, so she it, has an allergy to chicken. Yes. Okay. Wow. Okay. So that said, so all do you want? You're and, giving them to to Bluebell. We're giving them to Bluebell, and it said to keep them in the refrigerator. Okay. So I just took them out of the fridge. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we can now give I'm her sure some. Kelly loved them. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Bluebell will too. <laughs> I guess I overloaded her on chicken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a great place in uh in Costa Mesa. It's like on the border. Costa Mesa and Hennessy Beach called Fermentation Farm. Oh, I've been there. Didn't you love it? Yes. And, and they have bone broth. Well, they for my other dog, broth. Duke, I went there and bought organic beef bones, and I made him beef yeah. bone broth. Yeah. I haven't been to Fermentation Farms lately. I wanted well, their big jugs. They all should go to lunch there. It's so oh, good. Oh, it is have good. you had lunch there? Yes, I have. Yeah. But it's very delicious. All the people that usually do that. Yeah, we might want to leave it for you. Yes, I got one of their jugs to get one. 
Oh, yes, I do too. Yeah, love it. Yeah.